Hey folks, welcome back to the Traders for a Cause podcast. My special guest this week is a seasoned swing trader and formerly ran tradeonthefly.com, Miss Michelle Koenig. Michelle, how you doing? Good, how are you, Zach? Thanks for having me on today. You betcha. And we also have uh, our old friend, uh, I don't know his name, um, uh, from Investors Underground. Oh, Nate, Nate, how's it going, buddy? Nate. <laughs> it's not too your... bad, how about you? <laughs> uh, not bad at all, not bad at all. So Michelle, I hear you hate fishing. Can you tell me a little bit about your uh, love affair or hate affair with uh, fishing? Um, yeah, we fly fish, you know, I'm from Montana. So big outdoor person and both my husband and I love to fly fish, love to get out on the rivers up there and started fishing when I was a kid, just spinner fishing and used to camp in the mountains with my parents and spend a lot of time fishing in the lakes and just have always enjoyed getting out on the rivers. So it's relaxing, good way to take a break from the stresses of life and just enjoy the outdoors. That's amazing. And you just ruined the rest of the interview because like four of my follow-up questions were, what are you going to do if you're not trading anymore? And you just kind of, you just kind of like uh, checked all those boxes, but uh, well, that's did, fantastic. She did retire. She retired, but she's still trading. So I, I, I don't know. Before you got into swing trading, what did you do? Uh, so before I got into swing trading, I was in software sales. I mean, I had various different jobs after college, um, got a degree in finance. Uh, worked a lot of different odd jobs along the way, moved around the country a little bit. But before I started trading, I was actually working in software sales. So I was in front of the computer all day and gave me the ability to watch the markets, watch stocks and start dabbling in trading part time. Very nice. What type of software did you sell? Um, we were doing uh, customer support, I guess it was online. Uh, it's a company called Right Now Technologies that got bought by Oracle. So it was like all the FAQs and the online chat. It was kind of when people were trying to move customer service more onto their websites rather than having call centers. Wow. So it worked awesome. for them. Yeah. And, and just before this call, we were talking about how like you feel like you're a little technically challenged and you were right. a software, <laughs> in software sales. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. We had good, we had uh, good tech technicians that would be on the sales calls with us. So, you know, Got I just it. did the sales side of it and finding the customers and finding their need and then bringing the technical guys if, if we needed help on the technical side of stuff. So, yeah. So you were responsible for just turning on the charm essentially. Yeah. Something like that. I got that. it. I got it. I got it. Well, making like, the relationships. <laughs> So, so maybe maybe we can rephrase the question to make it a little more challenging. If you weren't trading or fly fishing or okay. team roping, right? What would you be doing for a living? Oh, probably, you know, having a business of my own. I've always been very entrepreneurial. I have never liked, you know, kind of being under someone else's thumb. I like to make my own way and be in charge of my own destiny. Uh, not that I haven't worked for other people before, but I'm very much driven that way. My dad was that way. So I'd have probably some sort of small business where I'd be a little bit more in charge of my own destiny, not have to rely on somebody else for what I was going to make or what decisions were going to happen. So definitely have a small business. Do you think that when you were running uh, the, the trade on the fly service that you were kind of scratching that entrepreneurial itch at the same time while, you know, trading and, and making income that way? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit, you know, I think more of that came from, um, working with Nate, you know, when I was moderating and kind of helping some of the traders there at investors underground, I really enjoyed helping people learn when I was a kid, I used to give riding lessons. So I grew up showing horses. And so kind of that teaching part in me, I think was a little bit, a big part of that as well. I really enjoyed 
kind of helping people along their path, sharing what I knew, uh, trying to help people, you know, find their path and hopefully take a few of the things that have worked for me along the way with them. So I really enjoyed, enjoyed that part of it as well. So if Nate and I fly out to Arizona, will you teach us how to ride a horse? Yes. Yes. I would love to do that. And maybe even do. He's already working. extended that, that invite for like yeah. three. <laughs> oh, we, I was traveling across the country last summer and I, and I reached out because we were in Montana, but apparently Montana's large. I, I don't know. Yes. We, we, we were in, <laughs> we were in Red Lodge outside of uh, Yellowstone. Yeah. And, and you said that you, you were outside of Glacier. Yep. And I'm like, oh, we'll pop right over. 12-hour drivers. <laughs> like seven, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a little ways. But the invite is always there. We'd That's love fabulous. to have you. My, my niece and uh, nephew-in-law were actually just visiting us here in Arizona over the weekend. And he had never ridden before. And we had him roping in two days. So we no can find you guys out, too. That's amazing. Well, you know, most of my adult life, I've been told that the only horse that could handle me is a Clydesdale. Uh, <laughs> I've I've shed a little bit of weight and maybe now like a regular thoroughbred could, uh, could fit the, fit the bill for me. Yeah. I got one that could take care of you. (laughs) Trading for you, uh, you know, as you, as you took your career from selling software into becoming a trader, was it always a means to an end or did you just fall in love with the art of trading itself? So my interest really from trading started when I was in college. Um, We had one of my upper level finance classes. We had a group project that we had to do. And so we went to this guy's house and it was, you know, kind of all college age students. And then we had an older student in the group and we were all sitting around his house or, you know, his trailer, I guess it was talking about the part-time jobs that we all had while we were in college, you know, to pay bills. And when it got to him, we asked him, we were like, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I go down to, and I don't remember who it was like Merrill Lynch or whoever it was way back then. He goes, I go down like once a quarter and I buy a handful of stocks. And if I do well that quarter, I don't have to work at Pizza Hut and Burger King and the bar or wherever all the rest of you are working. And if I don't pick well, then I have to go get a regular job. And that that stuck with me literally from that moment forward until I started trading. Cause I always thought to myself, you know, how does this guy just, you know, go pick a few stocks and, you know, make enough money to live on for, you know, three or four months. And so I thought about that forever. And again, because I always really kind of wanted to be in charge of my own destiny. And I didn't like the idea of being stuck, you know, making an hourly rate or a salary. I mean, I really wanted to have the flexibility to make a good living. And then when E-Trade and Ameritrade, you know, started coming online where you could make some of your own trades, that's when I started trading part-time. And that's that guy's conversation about buying and selling those stocks always stuck with me. So that's kind of where my initial interest came from was the ability to work from anywhere as long as I had internet and be in charge of my own destiny and not be capped you know, in what I could make money wise. So very cool. So was it was it swing trading from the beginning or did you day trade at the beginning? How did you kind I've of always sort been, out? Yeah, I've always been swing trading focused and then done some day trading on the side. The swing trading just, again, kind of fit my lifestyle better um, with, you know, wanting to enjoy the outdoors and, um, you know, have some flexibility to not be tied all day long to the screen with day trading. Not that I haven't, you know, I, I do day trade some, but the swing trading's where the majority of my profits have always come from and kind of where I'm a lot more naturally inclined to trade up. I've seen a few uh, Twitter traders that claim that they can day trade from a kayak. So I, 
I don't know. Just saying, like maybe you could fish and day trade at the same time. I've been known, I think Nate knows, I've been known <laughs> to make some trades on the road or from the river that actually have been some really nice trades. So I'm I'm not opposed to using the foam for <laughs> for a few trades along the way. There's something so anxiety provoking to me about placing trades on a mobile device. I don't I mean, uh, like Nate, I'm sure that you're so used to doing it. Like I, I hear you trading from an airplane. 40,000 feet in the air, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like my hands would be tied almost like, is that nerve wracking? It, it, it is nervous, uh, especially the plane because you never know, like, especially if you're going to uh, Bahamas or some spots or around Florida or something, sometimes it just goes out and like, they give you a warning, but you never see the warning. And it's like, Hey, 10 minutes, you're going to lose it. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> what am I gonna do? Close all so positions. If I ever do it, if I ever do trade in a plane, I always and and I never use hard stops. But as soon as I get in, I put in a hard stop. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it's 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 a really bad idea. But like what like what Michelle was saying, and and you know, it might be anxiety for you, but you know, it. She's talking bigger picture, and she's got a bigger plan, looking at daily charts and looking at daily support. So yeah. it's a little bit different than. You know, whereas I might have a much larger position intraday, whereas she's got, you know, a little bit smaller, but bigger picture idea, right. you know, thinking I'm going to let it have this much wiggle room. And honestly, the best thing you can do is get off the computer yep. and let that stop work. staring at it. Yeah. Don't yeah. micromanage. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think my phone's a great tool if I'm not there. I mean, I can, you know, check and see what stuff's going on, you know, and if things are starting to move, you know, I can. Put an order in on my phone if it's something i've been waiting on so yeah like nate said i'm definitely a bigger picture idea i don't need it to work in the next five minutes i, Michelle, I know it's running <laughs> i know for a fact that with my uh, adult add that i would i would go in thinking oh i'm going to be a swing trader and i would leave in one day as a scalper you know i'd be, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be <laughs> i entered this as a swing and i was out in 10 minutes it was great it was uh has to separate it though like if, if i'm taking swing trades i'm not taking it in my main you know, uh, accounts. I've got a separate account that is specifically for that so that I don't turn day trades into swing trades and swing trades into day trades. Yeah. I mean, watching your swing trades, you know, minute by minute every day is you'll never get the trades to stick because you just, there's so much natural in, you know, intraday volatility in these names. And especially if you're watching your PL go up and down, I mean, you just got to turn that off and have your risk set and give it time and room to work. And, you know, even, you know, if I am at the computer and, you know, watching stuff too much and maybe start second guessing what I'm in, I mean, I always regret, you know, not following maybe my initial plan or cutting things short because, you know, I start, you know, watching it on too small of a time frame. I always regret that, you know, never giving it enough time to, to work. So I think we kind of answered this question already, but uh, tell me about your balance between technicals and fundamentals. Uh, 90 to 95% of what I do is technicals, you know, charts, support lines, moving averages, stochastics, you know, five to 10% fundamentals. So I'm interested in the float, the short interest, institutional holdings. Um, I like to track insider buying a lot, especially on the really beaten up names, kind of the dumpster dive trades that I love, you know, they've put long bases in place and you start seeing insiders buying and I'll peruse through um, the news a little bit, you know, earnings on kind of just a high level, if it's something I'm looking to get into longer term, you know, to see if um, the story is matching up with what I'm seeing in the chart. But most of what I'm doing is is the chart. Got it. I've talked to several traders over the over the years that have said that 
the more of those studies that you put on the chart, the more cluttered it gets and the less they ultimately mean. Do you right. feel that those studies are primarily a better indication of what other traders are doing or do you garner true value in, in your strategy from them? So absolutely. When I was a new trader, I went through a period where I had so many different indicators on my charts that it was almost, you know, kind of paralyzed you and really hard to make decisions. And I also at the time didn't really understand how each of those indicators that I was using worked. Um, but at this point in my trading, the chart price is always number one, you know, price is the most important thing. And my technical indicators that I use are just guides. They're supporting what I'm seeing in price. Um, and I only use a few. I value them a lot. Uh, a lot of times when I ignore what those indicators are telling me, I'm usually, you know, sorry. So I, again, I rely on them heavily. Price comes first, but those indicators that I use, but I also understand how those indicators work and also what environments, you know, like the stochastic works great in shop and range doesn't work well at all in strong trends. So you've really got to understand the formulas um, behind those indicators that you're using and what environments that they're going to work good. Cause some in indicators are going to work well in trends. And then some are going to work well in ranges and, you know, your strategy is going to change depending on, you know, what type of market environment you're in. So if you had to pick one, which one would you pick? If you only had the choice of one? Slow stochastic. Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about when I mention it too? Cause whenever we're on the same page, they're usually like perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just wait for it. As long as me, Michelle and Paso are on the same page, it's like 99%. Yeah. <laughs> The stars but one aligned. thing about Michelle too, though, is like, like she was saying, she might watch a stock for two, three months. Like she wants to swing it and she's watching it. It's going, it's going, but it hasn't broke or, or proved yet, you know, where she wants to get in. Other people might get in there and get a better average, but they're faced with more risk to the potential downside. She will literally sit there and wait for it to shape up, prove. And, and make sure it hits her criteria before it. And I think that says a lot because a lot of people you know, are, are too quick to hit the buy button and then they second guess themselves because they're right. too early. She waits, prove to me that you know what I want to see happen is, is actually happening. And, and that's one thing I think why we hit a lot of the same names a lot is because you know, that's when the momentum's starting. She's been watching it for two, three months. She already <laughs> has her whole plan and now it's time. Yeah. I don't want my money sitting there not doing anything. I want my money working for me. And sometimes those charts take a long time to get ready, uh, you know, to actually move, you know, it takes time for those bases to set up uh, or the patterns to set up, you know, so there's always different options to trade inside the patterns, but um, you know, I'm waiting for that chart to set up and, and really be ready to move. I don't want to get in it early and then have to wait for three or four months for the base to continue forming and have my money just kind of sitting there not working for me. I want my money working for me all the time. Yeah, I mean, for day traders, like three to four months is like, that's like, we're on to the next career. You yeah. know, they're, you know they, have no, they have no attention span. We've been over this a million times, you know, like right. if they don't see it immediately, they move on. On next, no, yeah. not working for me. So you that's surprised incredible. though how fast it compounds though. And, and like what you're talking about is like these moves, they, they literally are working us you know, as day traders out, but, you know, in order to get those big moves, they, they have to work out the size, you know, along the way, if everybody's sized in at the, the lows, then it's never going to, you know, go straight up. So they work through and all these times we want to sell is literally just that process of working traders out from a swing perspective. If you're not watching it and watching every single tick, you get to 
you know, get through that part and then the easier upticks uh, ideally come. And one thing that I heard one time that, that's really true is, you know, stocks that double tend to double again. And, you know, that's, you see a lot of people compound, you know, gains when these stocks and I, like PRTY or APPS, I think you were involved in, I forget the other one. It went like seven to 30 or something like that. But these stocks, they go four to eight, then 16 all of a sudden, then they're 30 and then they're 80. Like it just keeps on compounding. And I don't know, maybe I'll get there one day. <laughs> so, so that, that certainly sounds appealing to me. I mean, like I've, I've talked about this. Like I feel like if I was going to do this, if I was going to go back into trading on my own, that it would be uh, the swing variety. But again, like I, my, I have a very short attention span. <laughs> so you need to take up fly fishing and team roping, Zach. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's, that's what you're missing. Yeah, but, but I, I think that's why it's important to have different strategies too, because you do you you check that box of you know. For me, I like to have uh, maybe a little bit more control, or at least know that I, I'm, I'm making. But then you have this other one that's more passive that you know you're allowing to work. So you know, for you, I think it's hard to just sit there and just buy and be like, all right, I'm swinging these and I'm just going to check it once a day. That that's difficult. But if you had two strategies where you're, you know, doing something more active and then you've got your passive, I think you check both boxes and it makes it a little bit easier to, to let these ones work. So, Michelle, how do you balance the the idea that if you're holding a position over several months and you, you kind of want to let it work? I mean, the chances of there being some fundamental news on that symbol are probably pretty high, right? I mean, like, do you do you, what at what point do you consider something fundamental to be noise and not even a part of the strategy or, or won't affect your position? I don't, I don't, I rarely will hold through known news events, you know, so like earnings, you know, and again, it would depend on what my cost basis is and something, but I'm generally out in front of any known uh, news related events, just because there's just so much risk, you know, and I had one of those recently um, that I had held and had a great cost basis, started buying it last fall and held through a known news event and it wasn't good. And it's, left a mark. Um, I will be looking to rebuy it again, but I had a low basis in it, but gave up a lot of profits in it, holding through that known news event. So in general, I don't, I mean, there are going to be times uh, that news comes out that's unexpected. And so I think it's just important to be sized appropriately, uh, you know, in the names that you're in and, you know, have an understanding of what, what's moving in and what the na- the news is, you know, I mean, obviously low float names that get momentum, often news are different than, you know, maybe a consumer discretionary that's going to be a much slower mover. And that's, you know, that's the other thing, just because you're swing trading, you know, there's different types of stocks that you can buy. I mean, there's those slow and steady things that, you know, have very low volatility, low beta. Um, There's nothing wrong with those. And those, you know, over time can add up really well. You're just not going to have the craziness uh, that you might have in like low float names that have been going recently. So there's different ways if you're wanting to swing trade, uh, that you can get into doing that without having all of that volatility that can be so nerve wracking um, when you see those big moves both directions. Are you pretty discretionary or arbitrary with your position sizes or do you have rules like for how much, how many of your eggs you'll put into one basket, like in a single name? Yeah, I don't have like a hard and set rule. A lot of it is going to depend on what the market's doing, how I've been trading, what the setup is, you know, is it just a technical setup? Is it something news driven? So there's a lot of factors that go into that uh, and my sizing. So, you know, and a lot of it depends on how I've been trading, you know, how my confidence is uh, and, you know, and what my plan is for what the setup, what the setup is. There's times through the year that I'm going to really size up, you know, because the market's right and I've been trading well 
and maybe the types of setups that I like are working. Uh, and then there's going to be other times of the year where maybe my style isn't really in favor. I mean, the, just like stocks, I mean, the markets are cyclic, cyclical every year and trading styles are going to have turns during the year where, you know, different styles of trading are going to work better than others. So there's times during the year that I need to size down and trade less. Otherwise, I'm just going to end up with a bunch of paper cuts and, and go backwards in my account. So you got to be really aware of that as well. So you mentioned before that you like to have your money working for you. You know, what if you don't have uh, an idea? Will you just put it into like a, an exchange ETF or something, you know, just to keep it working? Or will you, will you sit on cash? No, I'm fine with sitting on cash. I mean, I'm fine with going from, you know, having 10 or 12 positions down to being in cash very quickly if something changes in the markets that I don't like. I can always get back in, you know, and that's that's the thing is I'd rather be you know, out than wishing I was out, right? I can always redeploy if things step back up again. But if there's something that changes in the markets or an individual name that basically tells me something's not acting as I would expect it to act, I'm fine with going to cash and, and waiting because, you know, sometimes you've got to do that as a trader. I think it's easy. And I know I've fallen into this trap a lot of times and still do where, you know, you just want to trade all the time, you know, especially if things have really been working and you're really active, actively trading, um, and then things start to change. It's hard because we're greedy, right? We want to keep making all of that money. Um, but when things start to change and you start getting paper cuts, you really got to be aware of that. Or I have to be really aware of that because that usually means something in the market's changing or something, you know, maybe money's rotating out of the group that I've been in it into a different group. And um, it's easy to start giving back chunks of what you've made during those times. And nothing wrong with being in cash it gives you more time to fish. I, I didn't think I didn't think that it existed, but I think Nate, we have found somebody who's willing to wait two or three months to enter a trade, and then be willing to get out of said trade a day later. <laughs> well, listen, we, we can't all have side income from uh, this this uh, horse or whatever the roping it is. roping champion roping. prize money. So <laughs> I would like to tell you that team roping is uh, um, cash flow positive, but it's not. <laughs> Wait, you said you said team or teen roping. I mean, teen, teen roping. Teen, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was a little I was a little concerned there for a second. Yeah. No. Over the past uh, couple months, you've been winding down trade on the fly uh, your your service that had been running for years. What's what's next for you? What are you doing? So still, I mean, I'm still trading. I mean, I'll trade until the day they put me in the ground. I love trading. And, uh, but just gives me more time. You know, Corey's retired this year and we're just going to travel a little bit more, um, you know, be able to go visit friends. We've got friends that have got some ranches and just wanted to have more flexibility to not feel the responsibility, I guess, kind of being tied to, you know, providing the service to other people. So still trading, just going to be doing more roping, more hiking, more relaxing, uh, seeing the country a little bit. So just having a little more flexibility and freedom in my schedule. That's awesome. Maybe we'll run into each other on the road. I hope are you going so. to RV? You're going to travel like by road or? We actually bought, you know, we're kind of like gypsies and we travel like the Clampets because we have the horses and the dogs. So we actually just bought um, a horse trailer that has a bigger living quarter in it. And so we will be traveling with the horses and the dogs in that when we go places to visit our friends. And that's amazing. You know, How yeah. many horses can it take? Well, we've got four and then we've got four dogs. So holy cow. So, yeah. so you can go like, you basically go to a campground that takes well, horses and then just. There are places like that. Yeah. So we're in Arizona now for the winter and we have friends in Texas that have a ranch. And so we're probably going to go home when we go home, like at the end of April via Texas to Montana and we'll go hang out with them for a week or two 
and help them on their ranch. And we've got other friends that are in Eastern Montana. So, you know, just kind of go do more of that kind of stuff, set up camp, ride, rope, whatever. I, you know, I wasn't a geography like major, glamping. but going, going to Montana <laughs> via Texas from Arizona for some reason that doesn't really make sense. I know, but that's probably what we're going to do. <laughs> got it. Got it. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay, great. So well, you're we coming to New Hampshire. Yeah, I, I, it's on my radar. To Montana got, via New Hampshire. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I want to pull the horse trailer all the way up there, but you could do them it. on the. Uh, I, I know a beach around here. They particular days they allow it. Horses would be fun. Yeah, I sent you pictures of uh, when. Oh, we that's were... right. Yeah. Yeah, there's beaches like that in in Maryland, Ocean City. There's, I think there's some in even in New Jersey where they allow yeah. horseback riding. You see them all the time. So that's cool. Let's shift gears a little bit. Talk to me about a person or a couple people who have had a, a big influence on your on your trading career, like somebody who really kind of uh, paved the way for you to to get to where you are. You know, because of the time frame, I mean, I started trading full time in two thousand and one, and I literally just traded alone for so long, and I had books, but I wasn't involved with you know having a mentor, unfortunately. Um, especially kind of being in Montana um, and being more remote. Uh, I just didn't, I think back then, you know, we didn't have the access back then to all of the information, you know, Twitter and social media and stuff that traders have now. So I really paved my own way for the first, whatever, six or seven years of my trading. And then my first, you know, kind of interaction or one of my first, you know, was becoming part of Nate's group with Investors Underground. So um, I think that really opened my eyes to, you know, having a community to be involved with other traders, you know, there uh, as support um, for ideas. Uh, and that's what I love about being part of that group is it's just a great group of diverse traders. Everybody helps everybody out. And so, I mean, if I was going to say anything, you know, that um, has kind of changed along the way is just being part of Nate's group, just having that community, you know, because otherwise we're just kind of you know, kind of hermits trading in our little caves. You know, it's not like you've got friends around or that you have other people that understand trading to talk to. Um, but as far as ever having a mentor or those sorts of things, I've never had that. I've just had to, you know, learn by trial and error. And there were a lot of errors along the way, I think, because I didn't have, you know, the ability to have access to a, a group like that to learn from, you know, and there's so much access to information now with DVDs and webinars and, being able to access other traders for information. It's just such a, a great opportunity for new traders that wasn't around when I started. So uh, not good or bad, just kind of, I didn't have anybody when I started. It was just me, my books. So he was a, she was a hermit like Greg. He just yeah. traded by himself forever and then yeah. came out. <laughs> yeah. Nate, that was a hell of a plug. So stick around when we stop recording. Michelle, you can give him your current address. Nate, you can yeah, send a check. Exactly. Um, right. No, I mean, that's just, that was my experience. And I, I love being part of a group, you know, you hear, um, you know, different people online kind of bashing, you know, being part of a group. And to me, I just think it's, I, I want to have a home, you know, and when I am around, you know, since I'm not as active anymore, you know, it's great to be able to jump on there and, you know, watch a webinar or give a webinar or watch a DVD or, you know, see what is moving actively. That might be something that I want to put on my watch list and just be able to exchange ideas, you know, with Nate, Nate and I, you know, chat once in a while. And, you know, it's always great when we're on the same page and Paso and, you know, I talk with Eric and some of the other guys and it's really nice to have that community to be able to access. Well, so if you, uh, if you think back to when you got your start, 
you said early 2000s, 2001 is when you started. Mm-hmm. If, you could, if you could go back to the year 2000 and give yourself some advice, what would you say? Uh, have a plan, have a plan. You know, I just started trading with no plan. Try and find somebody to help you. You know, I mean, obviously it's different now, but I think, you know, having somebody else to share their experience and to be able to act as a sounding board when you are having problems. Because, you know, most traders, I think that have made it, have all probably made the same mistakes multiple times. So it's nice to have someone there who's been through that to help give you some direction. But for me, you know, it would be have a plan and really stick to it. You know, I flip-flopped around, you know, as far as the style or how I was trading or the indicators that I was using. Um, So it took me kind of a long time to really find my footing. So I wish I had had a better plan when I started or or even realized that I needed to have a plan. I didn't know that. So I I think what Michelle said earlier, too, as far as like understanding uh, sector rotation and, and what the market is currently rewarding, I guess. Is, is another good thing to, you don't really realize it when you first start, but understanding when to push because Michelle knows how to push and she does push when the market is right and, and will support that. And, but you know, even better knows when to pull back. And, and I think that, you know, understanding that difference is, is a huge, huge thing to, to actually pull away from it because a lot of times we don't know when to pull back and we're still pushing and you know, the market hits the off switch and you're like, Oh boy. Then you so, get back, you get back yeah. a bunch of what you made. Yeah. So I, I think understanding, you know, having a plan and, and understanding when it's okay to push a little bit more and when it's time to pull back is probably the most important aspect of at least maybe exponentially, you know, returns or, or anything like that beyond just a, a normal kind of trading pattern. And, and a lot of that too comes, cause I get asked that all the time. Well, how do you learn that? And a part of that's just time in the seat. I mean, I don't know you know, as a new trader that you really understand that. And it just takes time. And trading is no different than any other profession. I mean, you're not going to go out and, you know, be a brain surgeon and be able to perform brain surgery, you know, right away, right? You got to get training, you got to have time, you got to have experience or attorneys or teachers or anything else, accountants. I mean, trading is no different. And people, I think, especially right now, the markets are very forgiving and are rewarding a lot. And it's makes me scared for a lot of the new traders because I think a lot of them probably are having a lot of luck and it feels like they know what they're doing. And when the markets change, you know, it's probably going to be no different than when we've had other big changes in the markets where a lot of the new retail people don't um, keep what they've made because they don't understand that it takes time uh, and experience. And and we all have like, when I started trading, I mean, I almost tripled my uh, account in like six months. And I thought, you know, I was making a list of everything I was going to buy. And, you know, like six months after that, I'd almost blown my account up. So everybody has some dumb luck and it just takes time and experience to learn some of the things that Nate was talking about. I've had two guests now. First, it was Greg that said it. And then Ryan last week told me that experience in this market is a liability more than, more than, uh, Mm. you know, an advantage because they're basically having to take everything that they know to be true and saying, Oh, it's not true anymore. I don't know. I mean, I, I disagree with that. You know, I guess at least from my standpoint right now, I, one of the things I think that I've gotten a lot better at as I've gotten more experience and just gotten older as a person is when I was a newer trader, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I thought was logical and what I thought should happen. And now I really just want to follow the bouncing ball. Even if it doesn't make sense to me, I know that I need to be aware, like kind of hold some of the things that are my concerns lightly in my mind, but not focus too much on it because that's cost me a lot of opportunity in the past. 
And so my job now is just to keep following the bouncing ball, you know, no matter what I believe or what I think should be coming, the markets, as they say, can stay irrational much longer than we can stay solvent. And I just want to try and capitalize on the opportunities while they're here. So following the bouncing ball, that reminds me of a speech we had at Traders for a Cause. I think it was our second year. We had a we had a very interesting uh, speech from uh, a gentleman who talked about following the bouncing ball. That's uh, yeah. that's uh, very true. So can you uh, give me an example? And, and I don't really have much more here, but can you give me an example of a, of a situation in which you entered a position and you had either an incredible stroke of luck or an incredible stroke of, of misfortune that was completely out of your control and it just resulted in a, a profound result? in the trade? Gosh, you know, I mean, I've had certainly had some along the way where news came out quickly, you know, unexpectedly after I've entered a position, you know, and had good luck on the upside. But the one that I talked about earlier is a position that I built since last fall. And like I said, I rarely will hold through news related events. And I felt very confident in this. And it had news that was unexpected and obviously gapped down and just gave back a ton of profits on it. And you know, again, it was just one of those lessons you'd think after 20 plus years of trading, you would, you know, learn. But sometimes we just still need those reminders that, you know, when profits are there, they're not a bad idea to take them. So unfortunately, I had a reminder of that recently. And I mean, thankfully, I had a low cost average in it, but um, still made some money on it, but gave back a pile of profit that I had in it because I had size. So I think to your defense, though, too, on that is like you've been trading exceptionally well, so it was worth the risk to take it. Yeah. And, you know, you wouldn't have taken it if you if it was time to take your foot off the pedal. Right. And, you know, it's it's uh, we always have too much size when it doesn't work. We never have enough when it's not. And right. it had it worked, you would have never bought that much size again. So right. really you were playing with the house's money and, you yeah. know, it, you were in a position to let it work. And, you know, it sucks. It, it didn't work. Yeah. But. You know, you're, the, the trade that you still had was was better than, you know, what most people would consider, uh, you know, would, they probably wouldn't get there. I mean, you, you had a phenomenal trade still, even with that. So, yeah, well, and like you said, I mean, I went into the news related event knowing that if the event went the direction that I had anticipated, I would and I had gotten out because I contemplated, you know, because I had some big profits in it, taking part off. Uh, ahead of it, but I knew that I would never be able to get my size back and my average back that I had in it. So I felt like, I mean, I knew, I mean, I, I talked to myself, I was like, okay, you know, this could just go back to break even. Are you okay with giving all that back? And I made the decision that that was a risk that I was willing to take. So that, that is the hardest part I think about swing trading too, even, even not in that sense, but just you've got to make it through some serious like ups and downs yeah. and you play it back so many times in your head. Oh, I should have taken it off. I should have done this. I should have done that. And you know, that's probably the hardest part I would say with swing trading compared to day trading where day trading, you're kind of prepared, you take the trade, you move on uh, with swing trading. Everything's great, great, great. And then obviously there's like a, a either gap down or just a, a blow off day. You should have taken it yeah. uh, and pulls back and you've got to wait another six months before you get those prices again. So at least from my, my, uh, recent, you know, last six to eight months of, of more serious swing trading, that's probably been the, you know, this wiggle room. It's sometimes it's, uh, and I think it's really hard, you know, and, and probably whether you're day trading or swing trading, you know, I know as a newer trader, you know, I always wanted to get the exact lows and the exact highs. And at least for myself, that's not realistic. So I, and I used to get really frustrated with that. So I think if I can remind myself, you know, getting a chunk of the middle of the moves, you know, 
that I'm, you know, if it's something has a big explosive move, I mean, hindsight always is 2020 and shows us what we should have done, but I can just remember to be, you know, have those middle of the moves are going to be really profitable. That's going to add up, you know, and yeah, do I want to continue to work on me? You know, I'm getting better at exits or getting better at taking profits on those big explosive moves. Um, but it's, you know, can be much more difficult real time in managing those um, when it's happening. So I just try and remember, get the meat of the move, move on, super profitable, wash, rinse, repeat. Like a machine. Well, <laughs> I don't know about machine. Just, you know, just keep working on it. You know, it's. I think I need to talk to um, Dr. Brett about this concept because it keeps coming up in every conversation. The And I believe from from a, a scientific perspective, the psychological uh, phenomenon is called the negativity bias. This concept, which is fascinating, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to totally nerd out here because I listen to way too many podcasts, but talk about this negativity bias where even a small loss feels far, far worse mm -hmm. than... Uh, you know, a big gain or a little gain feels good, mm -hmm. you know, so like, and and it's so funny. And, and I think that it, it applies to, to more than just trading. Like, you know, like if, if something shitty happens to you, even if it's just a little bit shitty, it's going to stick with you so much longer than something that's just moderately good, you know? I think, you know, and I don't know, I mean, for myself anyway, I just, I mean, like with the one the other day where I gave back all those profits, you know, it sucked and I was irritated, you know, but I don't like when I was a new trader, it would just be like emotionally devastating. And I just don't feel those highs and lows anymore. Even when I'm way up, you know, I'm like moderately happy, but I just know, I mean, I've just become kind of hardened and numb emotionally to those ups and downs, which really helps because it helps me be able to move forward. And I know that there's always more opportunities coming. And if I focus too much on what just happened, then I'm going to miss what's coming. So I, I don't know you know, again, people ask, oh, how do, how do you get there? And I'm like, just time in the seat, you know, where you just, and, and having a plan, you know, and I think just experience where you just don't, ex or at least I don't experience those highs and lows anymore that I used to, which is good. It has helped my trading. That's definitely a recurring. Reset, reset and then get right back at it. And yeah. I, I think, you know, I think I get less mad at the loss, more mad at you know, knowing where I should have cut it or knowing what I should have done, that process itself, breaking the process, not doing what I should have done uh, is usually what aggravates me more than, you know, the loss itself. But I'm pretty good at, at you know, just moving on. And, and, you know, as long as you're giving back, uh, you know, a day or two's profit at max, you know, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to get right back in this current market environment. Yeah, the big drawdowns that everybody's going to have as traders, especially when you're newer, I mean, everybody's going to have them are much harder to come back. I mean, it's just the emotional. I mean, the money is not even the half of it. It's just the emotional devastation that happens on those big drawdowns because it just destroys your confidence. And even if you go back to trading your plans, you don't believe, you know, because your confidence right. is just destroyed. And that takes time to get back uh, to be able to trade well. The next couple of days you try to get it back and then you start, you're going lower and lower and lower and you're like, where's bottom? Can I even do this? And, and right. I was, I was talking to uh, my buddy that was doing it and I was like, I, you know, I, I've done it for many years, like where you have this one, you know, Kodak and it's like, am I even, can I even do this? Like, what am I doing? What if I do this again? And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you're back. But the problem is, is like you, you try to get that back right away. So yeah. I always tell people just think you know, long-term and, and make sure you're, you have realistic goals. Cause if you try to get it back tomorrow, it's not happening, but. Cause uh, you're going to usually take more risk because you're in a hurry to make it back. And then you're usually exactly. digging a deeper hole. You know, if you're in a hole and you want to get out, stop digging. 
Yeah, two three X size means two three X loss is yeah. as well, and you're not prepared for it. But I feel like, like if there's said, one, that, if there's one defining characteristic of of all of the best traders that I know, it's it is just that ability, like that ability to remove emotion. Resilience. I, yeah, and I kind of learned from the best. I mean, like when you think of Greg, like he has a reputation for just having like a stomach of steel, and and the truth is, is that I think that there is emotion there. It's just how you can really manage it and and mask it. And he he said it, you know, kind of funny in our podcast. He called it acting, but <laughs> but no, honestly, like I, I I feel like for him it was never about the money. It was about making the right decisions. You know, and and he even said back in the fall there were all these like terrific setups that if you he would have taken them he would have lost money on. And of course, my response was, well, if it's if you would have lost money, is it really a good setup anymore? <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, in general, like it's just a matter of being able to kind of like compartmentalize that that. It's uh, tough because then you got to go to normal life, and it's like we're going on vacation, and you're like, all right, cool, you know. I'll, it's it's just normal and then you get excited once you're there but like leading up to it there's no high and lows anymore if you're a trader so it's like there's a difficult part of of that because many times even laura's like we're going on vacation tomorrow are you excited i'm like i will be, yeah, <laughs> like, will be. <laughs> yeah, exactly i will be not yet yeah it just it, i remember uh tom uh Tom was doing a, a some type of blackjack tournament or something like many many years ago and he ended up winning the whole thing and his wife's like tom you just won and he goes yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just like zero emotion. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what that's what, you know, makes you great. That's what makes you be able to make sound decisions at that current time because you're not dealing with all these ups ups and downs. Yeah. Nate used to run laps around your house. I don't I don't see you doing that anymore. Yeah, I did do that once, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that was just for show. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you for being a part of uh, Traders for a Cause. You've been a supporter for years. We can't thank you enough. Uh, Michelle used to be a board member uh, at the charity and and uh, has really been an integral part in the way that we've grown this uh, this organization and gotten to where we are. So I thank you for that. I thank you for doing the the podcast. And this, this is kind of a, a, a learning experience for me. And uh, I, I'm really hopeful that we're going to continue to grow. And, and uh, we turned over just such an incredible evolution that we made last year in 2020 going virtual and now these virtual events we had we broke all of our fundraising records last year and uh at the same time I, I i get like two messages a day like when are we going back to vegas when are we going back to <laughs> vegas you know people are just chomping to get back together so uh we'll see when that might happen but uh i certainly it's, hope it's such a great event and you guys have done such a phenomenal job with it, it's been really fun to watch it grow, and I'm happy to be uh, contribute and happy to have been a part of it in the past. And appreciate you having me on. Amazing, thank we, you we so much. Learn from Michelle. You just have to be one percent better every single day. Yeah, one percent <laughs> adds up pretty quick. Well, I want to thank you again, Michelle. Thank you, Nate, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. In the meantime, trade, profit, and make a difference. Take care. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Zach.